It is Monday, September 19th here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our week two recap podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me today is Adam Krautwurst, and this is going to be your crew for the weekly recap going forward. Adam, we had Josh Larkey in your seat last week because you had, you know, the usual right at the beginning of the season, uh, big money FFPC travel stuff going on. Was it a good weekend overall? Uh, yeah, it was a great weekend. So drafting was fun. Hanging out with everybody was great. Week one was, was awesome to me. Week two was just as bad to me as week one was good. We'll get into it, but, oh man, what a, what, what a struggle yesterday was. Well, yeah. And we'll start with, so yesterday was a, a crazy day. Like you'll find people saying that after every Sunday of NFL action yesterday was legitimately crazy. And we'll start with the Dolphins Ravens game, which definitely played into that. 28 fourth quarter points by the Dolphins in this game um, and probably had no business winning it, but they did six touchdown passes from Tua Tonga Vailoa. Not sure that we can actually take a whole lot from that projecting forward. I think the big takeaway for this game is the Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill stat interaction here in week one. We saw Tyreek Hill dominate things. 36% target share. Jalen Waddle only had 15, but combine those and we mentioned it on last week's show combine those and we got 51 percent. i said then i wouldn't expect 36 percent for tyreek hill going forward i would not expect as low as 15 percent on a weekly basis from waddle but that would be a good level for them to combine yesterday was 64 percent target share between jalen waddle and tyreek hill waddle got the lead this time they both got there both on targets and production so i think if you drafted either tyreek hill or jalen waddle you know Besides the huge numbers of week two, you should be happy with the way that they're being used and the way this pass offense is going so far. Absolutely. And I'm going to say something that you're not going to hear me say a lot today, and that's competent coaching, right? (laughs) A a coach who knows what he's doing, getting the ball in the hands of absolutely stud playmakers. There's a a 15 coaches we're going to talk about today that were just that, (laughs) that belong on the street right now, but you know, he comes in, um, and he come and he's given the ball to Tyreek Hill, he's given the ball to Jalen Wild. That's all you need to do. Short routes, deep routes, the 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 defense b- blown coverages, you know, by, by the Ravens secondary. I think the Ravens really wore down in that that they, they have a good home field advantage, the Dolphins do early in the year here. They get the the, the humidity, although Tyreek Hill was one of the ones cramping. But um yeah, I think they just ended up running out of gas. But blown coverages but by the Ravens, you know. I mean, two is throwing punts. Out there, I mean, there's one touchdown. Ty, or I don't even know if Tyreek scored. I think he did. We had to come to a complete stop dead in the middle of the field to catch this thing. But he's so open, it doesn't matter. So, um, kudos to them for getting the ball in the hands of their guys. And I'm really happy that um, that we have Tyreek Hill on our Draft Sharks main main event team. Um, and I'm happy that I started to come around on him late in draft season. I'm like, man, I got to get some shares of him because if I don't, he's the type of guy that could absolutely make it make you pay. They call that route the bust to the end zone where you just wait and then you catch. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Um, yeah, I had Tyree Kill and Mark Andrews in my cash lineup on DraftKings yesterday. Unfortunately, like I thought about it right before game time. I was like, maybe I should just toss this into a tournament. I ended up not doing it. That lineup scored 211 points. I mm. definitely wish I had at this point, but at least cashed all the way across in head to heads. So yeah, I got to like Tyree Kill. got to like Jalen Waddle, even if you don't like Tua Tangavailoa. We did have a cameo from Mike Gusecki in this one as well. No Dolphin besides Hill or Waddle got more than four targets, but the four-target guy was Mike Gusecki. Caught all four of them, 41 yards, scored a touchdown. His route rate was up 
from 43% in week one to 63% in week two. Now, if that stays that way going forward, then he's going to be more fantasy relevant than it looked like coming out of week one. I would say be cautious and expecting that to be closer to reality because as we've alluded to, they did a lot of coming back in this game. They were in trailing game script. They ended up throwing a lot of passes. So it makes sense to throw your pass catching tight end, tight end in quotes, out mm-hmm. in more routes. He still got just 8% target share. So, you know, if you played Mike Gusecki yesterday, if you have him on a best ball team, be happy with that production. Not ready to say that that's something we can look for week to week. No, but again, I, I don't know where all his targets were, but I know he had two two red zone targets. One of them was a touchdown in the back of the end zone. If you're not going to use Gusecki, uh, use him there, right? If you're only going to give him four targets, use him inside the 20 where both your your big threat receivers are, you know, sub six feet tall. Go use him inside in, inside the red zone, you know. So um, again, kudos to them for using him properly there. And but again, how, when are you going to start a guy that gets four targets? And you know how often is he unless he's going to score every game? It's going to be really really tough to to start him. In the backfield is Raheem Mostert leading eleven to five in carries, matching Chase Edmonds in targets. The playing time was basically even. The passing work was basically even. So that's worrisome if you got Chase Edmonds. Obviously, it's a positive if you have Raheem Mostert. And I mean, they're going to need to do more than that rushing overall for either one to really be a, a worthwhile lineup candidate. Yeah, I think this was a kind of a different type game. I mean, they, they were losing, right? They were, they were getting crushed. So I don't think they had a lot of running on their mind. Um, Mostert got, you know, all the goal line carries. So that's, that's good. Good for him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, o- overall, I think this was just kind of a weird game. You know, Mostert, if you, if you took him in the 12th or 13th round, you're thrilled with seeing this. But, um, again, I think it's more going to be more of a 50, 50 split mo- moving forward, barring any, uh, any type of injuries. Mm-hmm. Rashad Bateman has long touchdown catches in each game so far. And yesterday, more importantly, his target share was up to 24%. So, Obviously, I'll take a long touchdown from him anytime, but we know we can't count on those. So I'm glad that we got more participation in terms of targets here. It's clearly Mark Andrews and it's Rashad Bateman. Then if you look at it yesterday, it seems like, okay, Isaiah likely still coming on. He was third in targets among Ravens in this game, but his five targets came on eight total routes and 20 total snaps, which is down from his week one usage. So Be careful about saying, okay, Isaiah likely is going to be that number three option that I thought he was. And this was also a game that Devin DuVernay left early with a concussion. Yeah. Yeah. It's Bateman is so stinking good. I mean, he was great coming out of college at a lost year last year. And I'm not just saying that because he's draft sharks breakout player, but uh, two long touchdowns. I mean, that that's not even like his, that's not even his game really is the long touchdown. It's the, it's the physical, um, body type, one-handed back of the end zone type catches. Uh, if he can just get double-digit targets, he would be a, you know a, a borderline, a borderline wide receiver one. If he, he's he's that he's that talented, but again, this is a guy on, on, on the flip side. They were winning the whole game, right? So they were they were trying to pound the rock. Lamar was running, which he should be, um, you know. But they were splitting the carries up between Drake Davis and Hill, and I'm sure you get to that. But Bateman's so so good. If they can just get in negative game scripts where they have to throw it, he, he'll be an absolute smash. Yeah, I mean, so far you got to like that he got there on what was really not a great game in week one and then yep. got there on what was a somewhat low volume game yesterday. So that's two, you know, solid to good fantasy outings from Rashad Bateman so far. And he hasn't even really hit what the fantasy ceiling for him would be. They were up big the whole time on the Jets. They were up big most of the time on Miami yesterday. So as you said, two kind of negative game scripts for maximizing the scoring for Bateman. So like what's going on so far, 
and uh, still believe that there's plenty more ahead for him. As you alluded to, that backfield, Justice Hill, 21 snaps, Mike Davis, 18, Kenyon Drake, 15. This is a backfield to just ignore completely, at least until J.K. Dobbins is back. We'll see about his usage in his first game. I'd be wary of using him in that first game, but clearly Baltimore has to be just like counting down and checking in with J.K. Dobbins like every hour. They're like, hey, dude, how, how are you feeling today? You think you're going to be ready to play next week? And then, I mean, beyond Dobbins, even Gus Edwards, because clearly they have garbage at, at running back right now. And I would expect that they don't want to overwork J.K. Dobbins when he comes back. So once Gus Edwards comes off the pup, I think that that's somebody that might be worth stashing on a deeper roster where you got a spot to play with right now. Absolutely. Always pick up running backs, never cut cut running backs. I mean, they're – are they checking in with Dobbins? Cause Dobbins told him about a, six weeks ago, he was ready, ready to play. Like the guy's dying to play. He's watching his team lose, blow a massive lead while giving the ball to justice Hill and Mike Davis and Kenyon Dre. It's just so gross, but like, you can't even the leagues I have Dobbins and I can't even get super excited because like you said, Gus Edwards is coming back. They love Gus. Even if they cut those three bums and bring in Edwards and Dobbins, they're going to split the carry. Like, it's just scary the way that Baltimore do- does that. Plus, Lamar runs, and he's the best running back on the whole team. So, um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, Dobbins is probably worth a start eventually. Definitely worth a start eventually when he comes back, depending on your roster. But this the whole carousel here of running backs is just terrible. Yeah, it's at least good for the outlook for Dobbins and Edwards on usage that all three of these guys are look worthless through two weeks. Yep. Uh, let's move on to the Jets and Browns. Another wacky game. We had 17-14 Browns after three quarters. We had 17 all with 10 minutes left. And then we had three touchdowns in the final two minutes. And apparently the Browns could have done the thing where Nick Chubb takes a knee instead of getting into the end zone, run out the clock because the Jets were out of timeouts and they chose not to, went in the end zone, allowed the Jets to score the final touchdown and win this game, which is just like a, a Browns thing you come <laughs> to expect at this point. On the Jets side, we had just 20 total rushes in this game. Like, Well, it wasn't even really a trailing game. I guess they just didn't run the ball a whole lot. It was seven carries apiece for Brees Hall. And Michael Carter, Brees Hall rushed for more yards, but he trailed Carter and targets five to one Carter more than doubled Brees Hall's snaps in this game though. So if you look at the touches, you might think that things were even 42 to 20 in snaps, 24 to nine in routes for Carter. So it's still Carter pretty clearly ahead of Brees Hall. Just imagine taking the number one running back in the draft early second round and never using him. Like the guy score, the guy scores on his one target shocker. Uh, he almost had another touchdown on a long, on a long run. He's just so Brees Hall's way too good to be to be sitting around. The only thing you can hope for for as a Brees Hall owner is if is if there's an injury to Michael Carter. Uh, but of course they got to get Ty Johnson involved, right? With eleven routes run, um, more than more than Brees Hall. So yeah, I don't I I, I don't know what's what's going on there. Again, it's coaching. Um, they love they love their guy Michael Carter for the Carter owners. It's 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 great, I guess. But again, he's splitting with Brees Hall, so no one no no one's really winning there unless they score. Um, Brees Hall saved his day with that, with that nice touchdown catch, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see how this backfield shakes. Hopefully Ty Johnson can just go away. Mm-hmm. Um, like if they just give that at least Ty Johnson's work to, to Brees Hall, that would make him a little more, a little more usable. But at this point, Brees Hall is tough, t- tough to start. Um, cause he's not going to score on, mm-hmm. you know, 20 snaps. Yeah, I would think that the Ty Johnson thing's not going to be an every week thing. We'll see about that going forward. But I mean, Michael Carter, the reason that I started out excited on Brees Hall is I, I was not expecting Michael Carter right. and the work, but he's not doing anything to make them take his work away 
right now. So I agree. It's, it's an unexciting backfield split for both players just for projecting that outlook. But, you know, if you take it relative to where you drafted them, positive for Carter, negative for Brees Hall. And it seems like it's going to continue down that path. Yeah, my, my whole thing about, like, listen, I like Michael Carter. I had him a lot last year. He was fine last year. But why take a running back in the early second, the number one running back in the draft class when you like Michael Carter? Like, go spend it, uh, you know, on a, on a, on a journeyman or, or a third round back or something. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. But oh, yeah. It happens hey, why every take year. Cam Akers in round two if you like Daryl Henderson? It's it, the, Right. It, these right. are goofy things. You, you would think, like, I don't know. You would think that all these guys would – have so much more invested study-wise, analysis-wise, and just realize that even if you like the player on film, it's just not worth for the position at that level. There are other things that you could do that would that would help you more. But at least I give, you know, if you were paying attention, at least I give the, this coaching staff credit. They told us, right? Mm-hmm. They told us Michael Carter was the heartbeat of the offense, whether how ridiculous that, that sounds. And that's why, that's when I pulled the brake, hit the brakes mm. on drafting Brees Hall, even in the fifth round. I was like, no, 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 I'll take a, I'll take a receiver or something else in the fifth round. I'm not taking any more Brees Hall because I believe them. <laughs> yeah. Yep. On the passing side at, at wide receiver, Garrett Wilson, a huge week to 14 targets, 31% target share in that game, eight catches for one Oh two and two scores. And that was a game that he left for a stretch with an injury that clearly didn't turn out to be a big deal obviously an excellent game for Garrett Wilson. And I think just the fact that it can be a Garrett Wilson week instead of an Elijah Moore week was the reason that I, well, not the reason it was a reason that I wasn't really into Elijah Moore and why I preferred Garrett Wilson between them at drastically different draft prices. I think if you have Elijah Moore, obviously you're disappointed with the way things are going through two weeks, just five targets for him in this game. But you have to keep in mind, that Elijah Moore did play 23 more snaps than Garrett Wilson in this game. Um, ran, I think that Garrett Wilson ran eight fewer routes than Elijah Moore in this game. So it's yes. still Elijah yeah. Moore on field the most among Jets wideouts. It, it, at some point, you know, you need the targets to show up, but it, it's at least not completely different than what you thought it was going to be heading into the season usage-wise. Right. Plus, even even you, your boy Corey Davis had a nice long, nice long touchdown yesterday. I would be I would be selling high right now on Garrett Wilson because like you said, Elijah Moore played 23 more snaps. He ran eight more routes and Zach Wilson's coming back. We (laughs) don't know what's going to happen. We don't know. Eventually, maybe week four, week five. We don't know. You know, he, he was locked in with Elijah Moore last year. We don't know who, who he likes better. We don't know if he can deliver the ball the way that Joe Flacco does as far as like scanning the field. Like we don't know any of that stuff. So I would be selling high right now if you can on, uh, on on Garrett Wilson. As good as he looked, I mean Garrett Wilson, the player is awesome. I mean he went to Ohio State. He was a top what top ten, top fifteen pick. Um, I love him. Garrett Wilson's really really good. But with the Zach Wilson uncertainty, um, I'd be selling high. Yeah, I think that this is an offense where you just sell high anytime you have an opportunity. To do <laughs> That's that. right. I mean, I'm if I have Elijah Moore right now, and you know, you'll see people saying, "Can I? Should I drop Elijah Moore?" I would say no in no, general. No, it, no. it always depends on the league and exactly what you're dropping him for because I'll say no. And then they'll be like, well, Drake London's out there. I'm like, oh, that's oh. Go ahead and drop him for Drake <laughs> London. Right. I don't yeah. think that you should drop Elijah Moore for whatever you can get. I think Elijah Moore versus Garrett Wilson is pretty even at this point in terms of what we should expect going forward. But most likely if I drafted Elijah Moore, I'm holding on to him for now. 
waiting for him to have his big game at some point. Cause it's, it's probably going to happen. It's not like he's behind yeah. the other guys right. usage and then try to sell him at that point. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a good point. Like sell the jets guys or sell bad teams. Anytime you get a chance to, and again, he's like an injury away. Like if, if that the reason why you don't drop more is because Moore's a really good receiver too. And he's an injury away from Garrett Wilson or Corey Davis from, you know, being locked in as a high volume and for a team on a team that stinks. Right. So they're going to have to throw the ball a lot generally. Yeah. And it's just a crowded situation. That was the main reason we didn't like these guys at cost heading into the season. These guys primarily Elijah Moore because he was going much earlier. Tyler Conklin, by the way, talking about the crowded situation, second in targets among Jets yesterday, nine targets caught six of them for 40 second on the team in routes behind only Elijah Moore. CJ Uzama did miss this game, but it sure looks like Ty Conklin is locked in as the top pass catching tight end for the Jets. And he's he's in fantasy viable territory, especially with so many guys doing absolutely nothing among tight ends at this point. Yeah, and, and he finished top top twelve at the position uh, this last week. Um, and uh, there was obviously CJ Uzoma being out certainly helped him for sure. But um, I mean, Conklin was was a was a decent fantasy producer last year. Sometimes a lot of these guys just need opportunity. Um, again, playing from behind, having to throw the ball a lot late really really helps. But um, yeah, he's he's a fine. He's a fine t- tight end streamer for sure. Mm-hmm. And we'll expect them to probably play from behind plenty of times going forward. So that should be something that continues to help on the Brown side. Nice game for Mari Cooper, nine for one one and a touchdown on 10 targets. David and Joku, five targets behind him. Harrison Bryant, four targets. Both of those guys actually ran routes on at a higher rate among dropbacks than they did in the opener. David and Joku up to 87 and a half percent. So, you know, <laughs> You can only say this for so long before it's like the boy who cried wolf. David Njoku is getting plenty of usage. He's just not getting <laughs> getting there stat-wise. But I think that paints the, the picture a little bit better for him than the 5-4 targets versus Harrison Bryant. Now, I think that if you have David Njoku, really you're hoping that he does okay while Jacoby Brissett's in there and then enough for you to keep him around until Deshaun Watson comes back. So I, I guess... You know, if we're looking for some kind of positive to draw from it, it's that 87.5% route rate because that's pretty good for a tight end. Yeah, I guess. I just think that, like, you know, what what more can you hope for? I mean, five, five targets is really, like, what you're going to get out of out of Njoku for a team that wants to run the ball a ton and, and wants him to block. Like, if you can get five targets, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I can maybe stream start him. And he still finished his tight end 19. So, um, yeah, I get that. I get the – the, the waiting for Deshaun because maybe maybe they open up the offense a little bit more once when once Watson gets back. But Njoku's a tough a tough stream for me at all. Uh, and again, the coaches told us they love they, they love his blocking. You know they they, they paid him to, to block apparently. So um, I mean he'll have a game where he catches a you know uh, where he catches a random screen pass and goes for sixty yards or something like that. But um, hopefully you have better options there. Yeah, I mean, you sh- he should be in backup territory. He should only be an option for teams that waited a long time on tight end or have somebody that's disappointing big time so far, such as Cole Komet. Um, but, you know, we'll see where he goes. I-, I certainly don't think that David Njoku is a must-hold by any means, really in-, in pretty much any format. So we'll see where it goes from there. Um, anything else from that game before we move on? No, just a just Nick Nick Chubb, man, three three touchdowns. Like, that was another crippling thing like the all the guys i faded this week man they just smashed all in the same chubb three three scores it was just it was just brutal but um but i mean he looked he looks great they're they're, they're pounding the rock 
everybody, I was going to say, hopefully you started him, but everyone was starting, starting Nick Chubb. He's just not going to have weeks. He's not going to score 65 touchdowns this year. So he's going to have his weeks where he only scores seven points because he gets no catches and no scores. So yeah, big, big game for, for, for Chubb and that the whole running game just looks great. Yeah. And the important thing I think is to realize that nothing actually changed in him getting the three touchdowns. The week before was Kareem Hunt getting the two touchdowns yeah. and none for Nick Chubb. They played almost identical playing time yesterday against the Jets. 36 total snaps for Chubb versus 31 for Hunt. Uh, he actually came within one route of Hunt. They were four carries apart. So, you know, very even. He certainly got there on touchdowns yesterday, but the usage is why he was a risky round two pick. And, you know, like you said, it's going to pay off sometimes because he happens to get the touchdowns. There are going to be other times where he doesn't, even if he gets that yardage. Chubb's always going to be a potential sell for me off of huge weeks, uh, not only because he's playing so evenly with Kareem Hunt, but, you know, there is the uh, injury factor. He's missed some time. So it, you you like that he got there it certainly helped if you used him i would not hesitate to sell if you have good opportunities to do so detroit over washington 36 27 22 nothing lions at the half in this one so washington did do some coming back it never got closer than seven points though so it wasn't like a nail biter in this one and the first thing i think you have to mention from this game adam is amon ross st brown looks like a stud yeah, another this this is the other guy. No Nick Chubb, no Amon Ra. And I was I was definitely wrong about Amon Ra. Like I don't think he's the anywhere near the most talented receiver in, 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 in the league, but they use him properly. Um, you know, he uh and Jared Goff trusts him. Like that's really all it all, all it takes. He and he sees, you know, saw 12 targets. Like that's just he sees 12 targets every every single week and they and they get them them the ball in the run game. So yeah, Amon Ra is going to be an absolute smash this year. I definitely missed that. But again, kind of one of the reasons why I was off, and, and we'll talk about this more in you know a bunch of weeks from now, but Jameson Williams will eventually be, be back in Holgarn or something. But I think at this point, you, you know, the, I think this coaching staff is smart enough to not break something that – or not fix something that's not broken. So I think Amon Ra is here, here to stay for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I'm not concerned about Jamison Williams for this year coming off that knee injury. I've always been considering him unlikely to really make a, a fantasy impact this year. I, I'm going to St. Brown has just gotten the targets. You know, the question was, is his target share going to dip significantly with TJ Hawkinson and DeAndre Swift back healthy? Because both of those guys were out last year when he had his hot streak. Plus, they have added DJ Chark since then. You know, not a huge factor, but somebody to probably siphon off some targets. Has not been the case so far. 35% target share yesterday, caught nine, 162, scored two touchdowns. The nearest teammate in targets against Washington was TJ Hawkinson with seven. So about half of Amon Ross St. Brown's total. He tied the NFL record for consecutive games with eight plus catches, tying Michael Thomas and Antonio Brown. So that's where he's at in terms of usage. I'm not going to say talent. But that's where he's at in terms of usage for his team. He's being used like those teams used Antonio Brown and Michael Thomas. So you got to feel good about that going forward. Definitely not considering him a sell high at this point. He's a guy who's no. delivering plus on where he was getting drafted this year, which I was skeptical of, but it's it's coming through. Yeah, and with that, with that elite offensive line buys Goff time. Um, Goff did miss um chark on a long touchdown. He was wide wide open. Even if it wasn't a score, it would have been a, a huge, huge gain. So I think Chark does still have some value for sure in the, in this offense, um, especially because that elite O line gives gives Goff time to throw throw deep. The line's going to be tough, man. Um, their, their their offense is 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 cooking. 
right now. They've got they got running backs, and they're using it's competent coaching. They're using the players in the spots they should be used in. DeAndre Swift was very efficient yesterday. Five carries, fifty-six yards. Most of that on a fifty-yard run. Uh, caught two of his five targets, but one of those was a twenty-two-yard screen pass for a touchdown. The playing time was a lot closer to Jamal Williams overall than it was in Week One, though. And I think we probably attribute that to DeAndre Swift coming in with the ankle that had him questionable. So, you know, it's good that he played. It's good that he was effective. I think it probably limited his opportunities. So we'll see about his practice participation heading into week three. Jamal Williams cut in near the goal line again, though, took Mm -hmm. a lot of goal line work away from him. I think we should probably expect that to, you know, if it's not all the time, it's a potential factor any given week where he could take away those opportunities from Swift. Swift is really honestly, for me, always going to be a potential sell high, not somebody that I'm selling off for whatever I can get right now. But if there's somebody that's running back needy coming after Swift on my roster, I'm definitely not considering Swift a no touch. Agreed. You know, he's the, um, he's the type of guy that, man, he's not even, he doesn't even look that fast, but somebody always snaps off. Well, he snaps off like a 50 yarder every week and never scores because he's really, really isn't that fast. He gets run down and then Jamal Williams pounds it in from, from, from the three yard line, but um, they're using him the, the, the right way. Um, the, 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 the receiving game is where he's just going to crush every, every single week. So um, yeah, I, I could certainly see sell, selling Swift. Although, like you said, I'm not, I'm not selling him for, 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 for anything. Sure. Uh, Carson Wentz on the Washington side, 46 attempts, 337 yards, three touchdowns in this one. It was again, Curtis Samuel leading in targets nine for him, eight for Terry McLaurin, seven for JD McKissick third this time. And then also Jahan Dotson, Logan Thomas were close at five apiece. Dotson actually led wide receivers in playing time in this game. Although the top three all fairly close in the number of routes that they're running. So I think Samuel Dotson McLaurin are all, Fantasy relevant at this point. Dotson, maybe not quite as much as scoring touchdowns in each of the first two games makes him look just because it looks like there's a connection between Carson Wentz and Curtis Samuel, whether it be the role of Samuel or just the way those two work together as players. And then we still have to, I think, figure that Terry McLaurin is the best wide receiver here. He's certainly getting paid like it. So he's going to have his weeks. So Dotson's usable but maybe less so than you might than than you might think looking at a guy who has scored in each game so far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's usable, but he only you know only only four targets. It's tough to tough to start a guy only getting four targets. And again, we're early in the season where the injuries haven't piled up yet, the bye weeks haven't started yet. So there's always you know in three weeks if there's a bunch of teams on bye and Curtis Samuel's out hurt again, Dotson it, the whole thing changes. So. Um, certainly worth having on your roster. I mean, the whole, just looking at it, the whole thing is just tough for the, for the Terry McLaurin owners who took him in the third, fourth, maybe early fifth round. Cause he's just kind of one of the guys or right now he's, you know, second on the team or tied for second on the team in targets. JD McKissick saw as many targets as he did with seven, um, you know, so um, he was second in snaps from, from the receiver perspective. Uh, even you, Jihad Dodson played um, 73 snaps to his 66. So yeah, it's just, it's going to be tough to feel confident starting, starting Terry McCoy, even if the passing offense is better, like with, with a healthy Logan Thomas, Gibson and McKissick catching passes, Dodson and Samuel catching passes. McLaurin's just going to be, it's going to be a, uh, a tough to be confident starting him. 
I wasn't anti Terry McLaurin at draft time to the same degree that I was anti Elijah Moore and honestly anti Amon Ross St. Brown. I'm not going to lie. Um, but he did fail to stand out for much the same reason as those other guys is, you know, Jahan Dotson's there. Curtis Samuel's there. Both of those guys are pretty good. Are we sure that Terry McLaurin is that much better than both of these guys going to get that many more targets and be the guy over and over again? So far, it's not looking like he's definitely the guy week to week. Not saying he's not going to wind up helping us, but, you know, that's the risk. And I think that's I mention it because I think it's something to keep in mind going forward for other similar situations where even if we have someone such as Terry McLaurin, who is clearly the most proven wide receiver in a situation, we look at the whole group, especially with a new quarterback and say, you know, if I'm not sure that Terry McLaurin is going to dominate this. Maybe I back off of him here, take one of his teammates much later and focus on somebody else that's a little bit more clearly the target leader for his um, particular situation. Logan Thomas got the touchdown yesterday. That might make him seem like a tight end savior uh, for teams, you know, that have Cole Komet, that have David Njoku, that have somebody else who's disappointing to this point, Irv Smith. Be careful. He only has three catches in each game so far. Thomas only ran six, only ran a route on 60% of dropbacks in each of the first two games. That's a level that's okay, but it's not a level that guarantees he's going to be heavily involved in the passing game going forward. So Logan Thomas can be an option. Certainly if Cole Komet's sitting there as your number one tight end and you don't have another viable one, then you can grab Logan Thomas and use him and see what happens. Just just be careful overrating him coming off a, a one touchdown on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I do think that Logan Thomas is going to get stronger physically kind of as the season rolls on. So yeah, it's it's you don't want to overrate it. Only five targets, but a lot of times, like tight ends don't need a ton of targets because a lot of times their targets are are inside the red zone, right? Because they're the big body. So five targets is he's probably startable kind of on five five targets, especially if he's going to get that, that that those red zone looks. So yeah, it's it's going to be uh it's it's going to be tough to start him there. But uh, he went undrafted a lot too, so you probably picked him up off waivers. But yeah, um, yeah. Sorry if my connections. Uh, there's a there's a thunderstorm going on <laughs> and lightning storm. <laughs> going on here in Rochester. So uh, who knows? My, I might just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's starting to pour up by me too. So we'll see how things go. But we'll keep rolling now. And before we get away from Washington, uh, McKissick, we mentioned the targets. It was worth noting that he passed Antonio Gibson in receiving usage in this game. So it looked like in the first game, Antonio Gibson was going to get more receiving than we expected and that J.D. McKissick might just fade to the background with Curtis Samuel also getting rushing work. But McKissick reemerged in this game, so it's a reminder that it's early and we're still assessing everything not to overrate one week versus the previous one or the next. Antonio Gibson did control the rushing, 14 carries, only 28 yards. He at least crossed the goal line once, so saved his fantasy line a little bit there. Adam, the next game might have been the most surprising for me, and it's it wasn't one of those crazy comebacks. It's Jacksonville beating the Colts 24-0. I actually heard this morning on NFL Network that it's the eighth straight time the Jaguars have beaten the Colts in Jacksonville. That crazy. surprises me, but, you know, the Jaguars winning this game is not what surprises me as much as the Jaguars dominating this game. 24 to nothing. I never would have guessed that that was within the range of possible outcomes here. I know, I know. I guess they uh, they missed Pittman uh, a lot in this game, huh? I mean, yeah. It's is Frank Reich on the on the hot seat. This is this is going to be tough. I mean, did they did they lose last week too, or did they, did they win? I can't. I can't no, remember. it was a tie, I believe. A tie. That's right. They they tied. He lost to the Jaguars, who were the worst. 
Was it the Jags last year? We week 18, worst team in football, lost to them to go to the playoffs. And now he gets crushed by them again. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not looking great here. Um, Pittman, Pittman and um, JT are really the only startable guys. I thought this might be a sneaky game for Nahi Mines with not having any receivers. And he started off with like two catches for 30 yards on the first drive or two. Um, and then he kind of disappeared there. So um, I actually started him over. I was decided between him and JD McKissick in a game and, and he it just ended up being JD McKissick. But um, uh, yeah, so this, this, this offense is just going to struggle when you've got Matt Ryan who can't move and receiver, your receivers are Michael Strachan and Ashton Doolin and, you know, Paris Campbell. They're, you're going to struggle to move the ball uh, really against, against anybody who can just pile everyone in the box to stop, to stop JT. I probably would have started Naheem Hines over J.D. McKissick yesterday, too. I mean, McKissick yeah. didn't do a whole lot in week one. Uh, Matt Ryan was terrible. I mean, three interceptions in this game. Obviously, it doesn't help to have Michael Pittman out. Alec Pierce was also out. So you mentioned who the starting receivers were. Ashton Doolin was the leader in targets and receiving production. Uh, Paris Campbell, a, a clear sign that he does not need to be on fantasy rosters at this point. Two targets in this game, zero catches, and he led – Colts receivers in playing time. So it wasn't a matter of the coaches not putting him on the field. He was out there. He just continues to show us nothing. So if you drafted Paris Campbell and you're like, okay, this is finally the opportunity for him to get those chances. Didn't work out. So feel free to drop Paris Campbell this week for whatever Jonathan Taylor, you know, a disappointing game for him, but he really had no chance. Only nine carries in a game where they got surprisingly dominated. It, not something to worry about with Taylor going forward, unless the offense is just brutal um, the rest of the way, even in that case, I think it hurts Taylor. I don't think it crushes him. Yeah, no, Taylor will be fine. I mean, you can drop everybody on the Colts outside of um, JT, Naheem Hines, and Michael Pittman. I mean, even at Mo Moelle Cox, he's not, I mean, that this would have been the game. He's not, it's just not going to happen uh, for any of these guys. So um, yeah, which is good for the, like the funnel of, if you've got JT and Hines, who didn't who didn't hit this game, but usually would in a in a in a situation like this and and and, and Pittman. Yeah, what we need is Hines getting more of the routes that are going to Jonathan Taylor now, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. On the Jaguars side, Trevor Lawrence was efficient, which is nice. 25 of 30 yeah. passing, 235 yards, two touchdowns. Not a big game, but he didn't need one because there was nobody on the other side of the field. Evan Ingram, the leader in targets here with eight. Christian Kirk next got six targets, caught all of them for 78 yards and two touchdowns. Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, right with those two guys in routes again. I would expect that the most common target leaders will go Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and then Marvin Jones and Zay Jones popping in here and there. The bigger takeaway here is the backfield where we got Travis Etienne getting really no closer. If you want to get technical about it, he got a slightly larger share of the carries, but he got nine carries to 23 for James Robinson. He got three targets to two for James Robinson. Um, and James Robinson even edged Travis Etienne in routes. So I don't know at this point what all the buzz was about. It, 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 there's no reason to expect that we can start Travis Etienne in week three. And we're going to need to see something drastically change before we can comfortably put Etienne into lineups. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, don't just gloss over our guy, Evan Ingram here, leading the team in targets. Okay. I mean, that's sensational. I, it's only because we're talking to the <laughs> only group of people that should not be surprised. That, that is true. That is true. I mean, led the team in targets, uh, tight end nine on the week. Hold on. Tight end eight, eight or nine, tight end nine 
love it. If you just get into the stinking end zone for, for gosh sakes, that would be incredible. Um, Christian Kirk, another great game for him. He's locked in with, with, with Lawrence. It's nice to see Lawrence be efficient there. Um, nice, nice game for them. Yeah. ETN. I was not high on ETN, you know, last year going into the year and I wasn't high on him even this year. I do have him in a couple spots where he fell to maybe like the late third or early fourth to be, um, in that situation. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> I always thought that like James Robinson would, would, would hinder ETN to keep him from having that explosive ceiling that a lot of people thought he would have. I didn't think that Robinson and Robinson doesn't even look good either. Like it's, it's weird. He's scoring on like these touchdowns where like he's breaking through and no one can catch him. And he looks slow when he looks like unathletic, but somehow he's scoring. So yeah, it's going to be tough to start ETN, but you might not have, have, have a choice. You know, you might, there aren't a ton of running backs that are really locked in starters. So um, you might just, you might have to ride this ETN thing out and hopefully he, he can stop dropping passes and hopefully he can be more efficient. Um, but he needs to be targeted way more than three times to, to, to hit. If, he, if he's only going to get net nine carries, he needs like nine carries and like seven targets. And if he can get to seven targets, five to seven targets, he'll be fine. Um, but but yeah, Robinson's not 23 carries to nine. That's that, that, that's brutal. The usage the first two weeks says to me that Doug Peterson does not love Travis Etienne as much as everybody else who watched the Jaguars this summer did. Um, I, I will say I'm glad that Travis Etienne climbed up in ADP because if he had stayed in round four, I would have a lot more of him than I do now. In round three, I was much more wary. Never would have guessed that things would start out this way. It would seem to... You would see, you would think that even if you're not an ETN fan, they should be getting closer to even work. James Robinson averaged 2.8 yards per carry yesterday. It's not like he's lighting the field up. 37 of his 64 yards came on one run. So, you know, I guess we'll see where it's going, going forward, but you, you have to feel awful about Travis ETN and fantasy at this point. Yeah. And again, here's another one where they were, they, they were winning the whole game. ETN's their pass catching back. He's going to be the guy that's going to, you know, when they're playing from behind, he's going to hopefully get a lot of, got to catch it. But listen, uh, there's a lot of, there's a couple, lot of good film guys out there. One of them is Jay Moyer from FF Astronauts. And he, he told everybody for two years, he's not that good of a running back between the tackles. His vision's meh, his balance stinks. And he's not, I mean, I'm not saying that he's right or wrong, but I think I think the coaches in Jacksonville see the same thing. They see James Robinson as a as a much better, more polished runner between the tackles, and that's why he's get, getting all these carries. Yeah, I mean it certainly is. If if uh, the upside for Travis Etienne is that he's your Naheem Hines, then he's going to be a miss no matter what happens the Correct. rest of the season. Yeah, Tampa Bay beats New Orleans twenty to ten on really what was an ugly game, like it, it basically in all ways. So we had no Chris Godwin, no Julio Jones for this game, so we knew that was going to lower the ceiling on the Tampa Bay passing game. Scotty Miller wound up leading this team in targets with eight. Russell Gage had six. Brashad Perriman, five. Mike Evans, Leonard Fournette, four apiece. Mike Evans, of course, got ejected from this game, and he left the sideline to join that brawl. So he's probably going to get suspended for at least one more game, I would imagine. Listen, Hall of Famer Mike Evans was just protecting Hall of Famer Tom Brady. I don't know. Did you, did you see the video clip where he where he said to the ref, "That's uh, that that's Tom Brady." What do you what do you expect me to do or something like that? <laughs> Football players are so stupid. I mean, I I love the idea. I love the concept of protecting a quarterback. 
But the guy is out there with a hard plastic helmet on with a face mask. What was really going to happen to Tom Brady? You're not protecting him. You're showing off in front of other people. (laughs) He's not in danger. I mean, that's just stupid. I get the mindset. I played football in high school, and I absolutely would have gotten in between a defender and my quarterback. But I'm an adult now. These guys are also (laughs) adults. You should be like, yeah, it was stupid of me to run off the sidelines. So I'd be like, no, that's my quarterback. I'm going to protect him. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that Tom Brady's life was in danger. Thank you, Mike, for sacrificing week three so that you could keep Tom Brady from being erased from the earth. Well, listen, a couple, a couple things. One, we don't know what would have happened to Brady because he's never been hit. I mean, he could <laughs> someone could afflict him and he could have exploded it with a thousand pieces. Uh, the, the the other thing is too, um, maybe that maybe that was planned because they couldn't do anything with. They haven't been able to score on Marshawn Lattimore in five years. So maybe it's like, listen, Mike, you got to go take this for the team. You got to go. Lattimore's got to go, and then we're gonna go win this game. So. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe that was what the, what the plan was. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's the plan, they should do that early. It's not the first time that he and Marshawn Lattimore have gotten ejected from a game together. Yeah. So, you know, another example of football players being stupid, like, why don't you guys just play from that standpoint? It makes a lot more sense for the cornerback to be the annoying one and to get yeah. Mike Evans agitated. Yeah. So. We'll, we'll see. It's, you know, it's, it's going to be something to factor in the next time these two teams face each other for the Mike Evans projection, for sure. I I don't think there's a whole lot else to take away from the Tampa Bay offense because of all of the things that we mentioned already on the Saints side, Jameis Winston, not great. And I would have been less surprised by it if I had not waited until an hour before kickoff to find out that Jameis Winston had four fractures in his back. Like (laughs) it would have been nice if we found that out before placing any bets. Fortunately, Jameis Winston did end up getting his yardage over late in that one. I know Adam, you and I were both sweating that as the game came toward the end on Sunday, he did get over, did get to 236 yards, but he threw three picks in the game, took six sacks, rough day. I have a hard time imagining Jameis Winston makes it through this season healthy. Yeah, yeah, he got to the over. Unfortunately, Jerry Judy killed my parlay. He did not get to the over, unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, M- Michael Thomas looks good out there. Nine, nine targets, Alave. I guess broke the all-time world record for air yards yesterday, which I don't even know what that even means. Like they get like three hundred and eighty air yards or something. Um, I'm sure you'll correct me on that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I mean. And that was the thing about Winston, man. Winston will gunsling if you give him the opportunity. You know what I mean? Mark Ingram only only 10 carries. Tony Jones only two. Dwayne Washington, who's that? Got four, got four carries. So in a game where uh in a game where they where they could have thrown up which close the whole game. Both both offenses stunk. But um, but Alave, it's nice to see signs of life for, from him after kind of taking a back seat to to Landry last week. But I think uh, you know, Alave certainly worth starting uh moving forward M- michael thomas has been has been fine here he scores again on a beautiful ball by the way from Jameis winston i mean thomas turns around he's triple team and the ball's in his stomach so um feel free to get we can give credit to Jameis winston as much as we like to like to take it away but it would have nice to see uh would have been nice to see elvin kamara out there a little bit on this offense Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, if, I think a day where you go 25 of 40 passing with one touchdown, three picks, it's okay to have more That's <laughs> to right. talk about your downside That's than the right. one good ball. Yeah, it was encouraging for Alave. 13 targets in this game, only caught five for 80 yards. I did say to Jared last week that, you know, it could be a good spot. Tampa Bay is potentially flammable in the secondary. Chris Olave's skill set should work nicely with Jameis Winston's mindset. 
you know, you want a better game from the quarterback to capitalize there, but the 13 targets are great. I think it's still going to rotate among those guys that that target lead, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave. They've been close in playing time each of the first two games. I think we should probably expect the elevated passing volume from this team most times going forward. So, you know, a, a solid spot for all three of these, all the, all three of the wide receivers are going to be fantasy viable. We'll see about Alvin Kamara's ribs. It sounds like the saints leaned conservative withholding him out yesterday. Like maybe he could have played, but they're hoping that by holding him out, it keeps him from being a longer term issue. So we'll see about week three specifically Mark Ingram, 10 carries, 60 yards, you know, that's good efficiency, but we'll need more than that for him to be anything going against Tampa. I don't think we were expecting anything big heading into that game, especially with his own ankle issue um, leading up. And then Juwan Johnson continued to lead saints tight ends in this game, seven targets, third on the team in that category, caught four of them for 40 yards, nothing special, but that's decent. Does a lot better for you than Cole Komet. Um, And he might even be more attractive once Andy Dalton takes over this offense, which is going to happen at some point this year. No, no, don't do that. Just don't because of injury, not because of performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> broken back. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, seven targets, man. You can get seven targets out of, out of your tight ends. Uh, good, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> Giants, Panthers, not a whole lot of good in this game, no matter who you're rooting for. Both quarterbacks <sighs> under 180 yards passing. Nice day for Christian McCaffrey. Meh day for Saquon Barkley on the Giants side. Kadarius Tony played more, still a distant third in playing time behind David Stills, the fifth, not Stills, David Sills, the fifth, <laughs> sorry, and Sterling Shepard. So it's a positive for Tony, but I'm going to need a whole lot more than that before he's fantasy relevant, Adam. Yeah. I mean, I just have a feeling that Tony's going to be one of those guys that's just does this for a week or two or three. And then it's, it's not going to be a gradual thing. I don't think it's just going to be the next week. All of a sudden he has 12 targets for 160 yards and a score like it's it's and I'm just terrified to have him I don't have a ton of Tony but I'd be terrified to leave him on my bench uh for one of those blow up games but yeah it's just the offense just doesn't look good it's it's I can't imagine I mean Brian Abel made Josh Allen so I can't imagine how how this offense could be possibly uh not as good as the Bills offense is but um, at least you know, even Bart, like Barkley, for example, he had, he had like 13 carries, which isn't terrible, but he had 13 carries to like the third quarter. It wasn't till they didn't get the offense really rolling until they started just feeding Barkley the ball, which kind of took him longer than, than, than it should have he ended up at 21 carries, which is, which is great. I'd, I'd rather have like, you know, 16 carries and maybe seven targets or something, especially if you're not going to throw the ball. If you're throwing the ball to David Sills, just throw it to Saquon yes. Barkley. Now they, they, they tried four targets is fine. He just didn't get a lot going with them, but I think the offense needs to certainly get him more involved in the passing game. Even Bellinger looked good. He had one target, but he, he got open. Um, David Sills. That's just wild uh, to have 40 routes run and 67 snaps. Richie James also significantly ahead of Kadarius Tony still in routes for the second straight game. So I, I'm going to have to see a lot more from Tony before I'm considering putting him in any lineup. Kenny Galladay played two snaps in this game. So they're at least making the right move there. Uh, Sterling Shepard, you know, not much stat wise, six catches, just 34 yards, but 10 targets in this game. So I, the usage definitely makes him a pickup in plenty of PPR formats. And for me, Shepard's the only Giants receiver that I'm actually like, okay, I might be able to use him at some point. It would be nice to not have to use anybody besides Saquon Barkley in this offense anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if Shepard's going to consistently get 8 to 10 targets, he's certainly worth starting because this team stinks. They're going to be playing from behind. 
So, but you know, I just wish we knew we still don't, don't know yet. The thing about Tony is too, I'm wondering if he just doesn't, if he can't pick up the, the offense or the play, but I wonder if something that the coach isn't saying that the coach isn't going to come out and say, yeah, Kadarius Tony. <laughs> yeah, right. He's an idiot. He can't figure out the playbook. Like he's not going to come out and say that, but it, it almost feels like it has to be that because when you, Tony's never healthy. So when he's healthy, you think you want to give him the ball whenever, whenever you can. So I don't know. We'll see on the, on, on the Tony situation. He did lose a significant reception yesterday to offensive pass interference on a teammate. So, okay. you know, he flashed at least. It was a pretty good ball from Daniel Jones, a nice run after the catch. But, of course, it got wiped out in true Giants fashion. And yet they still won. So it's, you know, they're yeah. it's like they're getting saved. They were bad for most of the game in Tennessee and then the late comeback. Uh, they they pulled it out against the Panthers, who just proved to be even worse yesterday. So we'll see where it goes. At least they're 2-0 for the first time in a long time. Panthers, another disappointing game for DJ Moore. The usage is still there. It's still him and Robbie Anderson, but we're going to need Baker Mayfield to do a lot more than he did yesterday to keep DJ Moore from being a disappointing fantasy asset. Hold on. I need to hear from Mike Schulp when the last time the Giants were 2 0. I got it. 2016. What is it? 2016. 2016. Okay. The same year they were 1 0. Is is that the one? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so man, what a frustrating kind of up and down day. I'm. You know, yelling at my TV at halftime, like, where is D, where is DJ Moore? Why can't we get him the ball? And then it's again a situation like kind of like they did with Saquon at the end of the game. They get DJ Moore involved, like on one drive, it's DJ Moore, DJ Moore, touchdown, DJ Moore, like, sh- like, shocker, like, what are we doing here? Like, Shy Smith with one less target than DJ Moore, and he, and he, he, he Shy Smith on third down drops it. Like, what, what are we doing here? So, yeah, d- they need to get DJ Moore more involved in the short passing game. Like, I thought. I thought like his bread and butter was like this short intermediate slant routes. And that's kind of what Baker lives off of is that short stuff. So I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully they can get that going in. Cause I have, a, I have so much DJ Moore. I just, I figured on target volume alone, short target volume, but um, he ended up hitting yesterday cause he scored, but did, didn't have a great game. Christian McCaffrey. Again, nice to see him get some targets. Um, and he looked, he looked decent out there too. He didn't get hurt. Thank God. But um, he cleared what a hundred total yards he didn't. He didn't score yesterday. I don't. I can't remember. I don't think he did. Hmm. Uh, no, he didn't score. But he got over a hundred yards. He got four or five catches. So he ended up he ended up being fine for you. But we're still waiting for that blow up McCaffrey game. Yeah, we'll definitely take the twenty combined opportunities at least. I think you say Baker Mayfield lives off intermediate stuff. His numbers say he's living off of ventilator right now. Uh, we're <laughs> definitely going to need a, a lot more. I, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. I, I was expecting more from Baker Mayfield right away. 14 to 29 passing against the Giants, 145 Ugh. yards. Like I lost money in underdog pickums yesterday because he seemed like I uh, close to a gimme at a 218 and a half over under for his passing yardage. I, we'll we'll see what happens. I need him for the sake of DJ Moore going forward. We do at least have so next week is the Saints which is a negative matchup if everybody's there. Marshawn Lattimore, we'll see if there's any suspension coming off of his ejection against the Bucs. After that is the Arizona game. So maybe, Adam, we can at least circle week four as the week that tells us if we just will or won't be able to use any Panthers passing game pieces going forward. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to not use – I mean, you can't not use DJ Moore. It's just you can't be excited about it. He's not going to be a a league winner and all that that type stuff, but – um, yeah, it's going to be cause their defense isn't good. Right. So they're going to be playing from, from behind and DJ Moore is their, their best receiver. 
but it's just it just stinks to not see them like listen if, if dj moore was running the right routes and, and and just not getting open or dropping the ball or whatever but when you're not even looking at him in six targets in a game where you're dead even almost the whole the whole game it's just it just doesn't make any any sense maybe they're confused because shy smith's wearing dj moore's old number yeah i was confused i know it's confused me a couple times <laughs> that's right we need to switch that up and get shy more like an 89 or something that's although right. that'd be steve smith right that'd be steve smith yeah that's right is it is, is there an is there an ish is there an ish smith that plays in the nba i feel like there's an ish there's a point that i was i was very confused yesterday with shy smith wearing dj moore's number yeah, it's got to change. I'm going to start a petition as soon as we finish this show. New England beat Pittsburgh 17-14 in a game nobody deserved to watch. Damian Harris, 15 carries to nine for Ramondre Stevenson in this one. Two targets apiece, so it's still Harris ahead of Stevenson. Stevenson actually played more snaps, though. 15 more snaps, ran 15 more routes. Harris led both of those categories in week one. So maybe there's some change happening here. We still need to see it reflected in the actual opportunity categories though, I think before we can play it different in lineups and, you know, let's hope that you don't need to use either of these guys. Cause it's going to be tough to trust either of them. Jacoby Myers led in target share 37% in this one, 13 looks against Pittsburgh caught nine for 95 yards and Nelson Aguilar, a big game had a nice, nice leaping catch and then run after for the 44 yard touchdown to complete a six for one ten and one receiving line in this game. Yeah, yeah, interesting game across the across the line here. I mean, Stevenson and Harris, you said they're they're just splitting right now as far as um, targets and carries. I mean, eight to two. Harris had fifteen to two, but this is why I wasn't drafting either of them because unless one goes down, the other they're both going to be pretty much useless too because of the way that they're tre- um, cannibalizing each other there. J- Janu Smith only three only three targets. Hunter Henry only one. I don't did he leave early from this game hurt or they just didn't. Use it. No, I left early from this game. Yeah, that's right. You left early. So I don't know what's going on there. I feel like their best weapons are their are the kind of their tight ends. I thought they wanted to go to more of a two tight end set when they brought in Johnu last year, but they don't even know who their offensive coordinator is. They don't know, they don't know what's going on there. That even the receivers spoke out. Yes, somebody spoke out yesterday about like how they don't know where the direction of the offense is going. I mean, I can't imagine after the system left and Tom Brady to go to Tampa out of this. So why can't the greatest coach of all time figure it out? Who knows? But we yeah, Meyer- Patricia would have had it mapped by now. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, so even on bad teams, even for bad receivers, like if you're going to get 13 targets, you're going to win, right, in fa- fantasy football. So if it's the same guy every week, if it's J- J- Jacoby Myers with double-digit targets every single week, then yeah, we can certainly start him. But we don't know what's going on there. Um, Aguilar had a great deep ball catch, Moss somebody and scored. And so it's just an offense that you just want to, want to avoid really. Yeah. I would say Myers is the best bet for targets, um, week to week going forward. Certainly an offense that you'd like to not have to play. Um, on the Pittsburgh side, again, we had Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, George Pickens, close in playing time, close in routes. It was Johnson leading in targets again. Ten for him, six for Claypool, six for Najee, seven for Pat Fryermuth, just three for George Pickens. I mean, I think that that's probably generally what we should expect going forward. I was just going to say that. Like, this is what it – this makes sense to me, right? Deontay leading the team, Claypool second, you know, Fryermuth getting getting his touches – Najee with six targets, 15 carries. We don't need Najee to do like if Najee can give us 15 carries and six targets every single week, he's going to be just fine. He finished his running back 12 um, and he didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't score. So 
you know, it's if he can give us 15 and six every single week, we don't we don't need 25 carries. We don't need him getting crushed and being overworked. That's perfectly perfectly fine. This is the nice spread. We just need better quarterback plays. <laughs> it's what we need. The quarterback stinks, and that was the concern, right? With all of these skill guys, the concern was they're all good. They're all going to cannibalize each other, and there's a terrible quarterback. So how do we? How do we work our way th- th- through this? You know, it's almost like you need an injury or two to kind of be able to funnel that those targets even, even more and to move the offense even, even more. So it's just going to be, I have a feeling it's just going to be like this all, all year. So do I. I mean, we still have four more teams to play this week, so we'll see where he finishes. But, you know, an RB12 finish in a given week, it's not killing you, but it's certainly less than what you're hoping for if you drafted Najee Harris in round one. And this is absolutely my concern is that the offense just wouldn't be very good. And he's not a game breaker on his own. He was a high volume guy last year. Mitchell Trubisky through two games has 5.1 yards per attempt in each game. He only Justin Fields has fewer passing yards among two game quarterbacks so far. And even Justin Fields has averaged 6.8 yards per attempt. So I think that if you drafted Kenny Pickett or if you're a Kenny Pickett fan or whatever, it's been a good start for you because it should be Kenny Pickett time pretty soon. Cause this offense is going absolutely nowhere with Mitchell Trubisky. And if you are in a super flex or two quarterback league, I would say go ahead and stash Kenny Pickett where he's available, because I think that there's probably going to be a change before too long. They eked out the week one win with TJ Watt out for a while. That's only going to make it more difficult for them to win without doing, you know, as many things as possible. Well, and Mitchell Trubisky is not doing his things well. Yeah, his arm looks dead too. I mean, Trubisky's in an athletic guy. Like he's as athletic or more athletic than Daniel Jones. They're just zero, zero carries is not acceptable. Like you got to get him out on the, on the perimeter and run him, put that kind of dual threat into the defense's head. I mean, New England has a really good defense. And so, but yeah, Trubisky's not, not it. And we don't need Pickett. Like we don't care about them winning games. We don't need Pickett to win games. We need Pickett to sling the ball downfield and get, pick up some first downs for this team so that they can stay on, on the field. Um, so yeah, we'll see how many more weeks Tr- Trubisky gets, but um, I don't think this offense has a chance to really reach its potential as long as Trubisky's uh, starting. Yeah. We'll just take uh, completing more passes than the 59% that Trubisky's at so far. Sure. Uh, on to the Rams and Falcons Rams held on 31 27 not quite as close as that score makes it look though 31 to 10 Rams with 12 minutes left in this game then we had an Alameda Zacchaeus TV catch we had a Lorenzo Carter blocked punt return for a touchdown um, and then an on-purpose safety from the Rams with six seconds left in the game so not that close a game but you know ended up closer than we expected Allen Robinson is in fact alive Adam scored oh, yeah, a touchdown in this game caught more than one pass Four catches, 53 yards, the one touchdown, five targets, though, still just a 13.9% share. So even if he continues doing what he did yesterday, that's going to be disappointing relative to his draft position. So he had had 53 yards. You know what his over-under and underdog was? 53.5. Oh, baby. Absolutely incredible. And I I bring that up because I want to talk about this play, too. First, I love... I, I learned something new every, every year, and it's always at the expense of my fantasy team. Allen <laughs> Robinson scores another touchdown. The play's blown dead in the middle of the play. Like he's into his route, walking into the end zone and another short touchdown. Apparently some call came down from the, from God knows where saying that there was a defense, a player on defense that 
that needs to be looked at from the play before. Like it looked like maybe he had a concussion or something. They stop it in the middle of the play. He walks into the end zone and I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, don't worry. McVay's the type of quarterback that'll come. He's the type of coach will come right back to Robinson because he earned it. Nope. Cooper cup, the other side touchdown. Uh, not that I don't have a ton of Cooper cup, but Robinson had an even better game than, than, than this shows. So yeah, Robinson's back. They, they were showing, they were getting him, more involved in the offense. They said that they were going to do that. And they did that um, again, didn't have a monster week, but he's certainly uh, capable of this every single week, especially when your wide receiver three is Bennett Squaronic, uh, <laughs> who absolutely stinks. So, um, so yeah, th- there was a, th- this was a, a good game, good, good little bounce back game for, for Allen Robinson and, and this offense and a little side note too, I was hemming and hawing in a, in a huge stakes league between starting Trey Lance and Matt Stafford. And I'm like, you know what? Trey Lance might get benched. Let me just start Matt Stafford. Thank Ooh. God. Woo. <laughs> so now that doesn't mean I didn't start Lance in like a million other, other leagues, but uh, this one was, was, was very important. <laughs> there you go. And I look forward to a different pronunciation of Scaronic's name every week. <laughs> Cooper cup just keeps dominating. So you love to see that Tyler Higby nine yes. targets in this one. Seven catches, 71 yards through two games so far. He's got 26% target share. So Tyler Higby is a weekly tight end starter at the moment. Absolutely. He uh, was on one waivers in one uh, tight end premium league I was in last week. He was like owned in 99% of football guys leagues an FFPC. And I bid, I needed a tight end. I bid like four thirty on him and it felt ugly, but <laughs> I, I got him and I love like, he's a, this is the Higby we've been waiting for, for two years, nine targets, He's a, he's a, he's a tight end one in tight end premium leagues. Yeah. I'm not nine targets. He finishes tight end four last week. If they're going to, if that's going to be a thing, he's going to, he's going to smash. Yeah. 20 targets through two games. I mean, that's excellent. Incredible. Obviously we shouldn't expect him to stay quite up that far, but he's prominent and he doesn't even have to be good to, to score for us at that level. So yeah, that's Hope- nice. Hopefully the, the the Atlanta coaching staff was watching that game and, and seeing uh, <laughs> what they were doing with their tight end. Yeah. we'll get to him in a minute but before that the rams backfield a near even split in this one daryl henderson 35 snaps versus 27 for cam Akers, so still the leader but a lot closer than week one um routes were 19 at 8 19 to 8 in henderson's favor targets three nothing though in Akers' favor carries 15 to 10 in Akers' favor so whatever Akers showed sean mcveigh Last week leading up to the game, I guess it was enough to get him more involved. And I think it's going to be a frustrating backfield going forward. Yeah, I think it's going to be frustrating if you are a like a if you were a fourth round Cam Akers drafter, like okay, there's signs of life. But like if you drafted Daryl, if you were drafting Daryl Hunch all summer in the 10th, 11th round, I think even this is okay. I mean, he scored, he can, you know, again, you kind of get lucky to score when you have zero targets and 10 carries. But um, I think we kind of saw this was probably it's probably going to happen to the Allen Robinson thing, the Cam Akers thing. All right, let's get these guys involved. They got crushed by Buffalo. I always respect coaches that, that screw up one week and then they turn around and say, okay, how do we fix this? Let's get the ball back to um, not, not that Cam Akers is better than Henderson, but they adjust. All right, let's come out. Let's feed the ball to Allen Robinson. Let's get Cam Akers more, more involved. I don't think it's gonna be that frustrating if you own Henderson, cause you probably weren't counting on him that, that much, but it's going to be frustrating if you've got Cam Akers, fourth round Cam Akers, because again, it's better signs from last week, but you still, I mean, how are you going to start again? I mean, he ended up 15 carries, which is fine, but like you said, it's 50 50, and they were winning most of this game. There's going to be games where they're playing from behind, and and he had saw eight less snaps than Daryl Anderson. 
Yeah. And so the, you need to know those usage numbers because you look at the the opportunities and you would say, oh, 18 opportunities for Acres to 10 for Henderson. All of the targets went to Acres. So you'd think, okay, they went back to Acres to lead this backfield. Not the case with how much they were actually on the field, especially in the passing game. So certainly be aware of that and don't overrate Acres or underrate Henderson's role going forward. On the Falcon side, it was Drake London dominating targets, 12 of them in this one, 46% of Marcus Mariota pass attempts, 32% target share for London overall through two games. No one else saw more than three targets among Falcons. And that of clue, of course, included Kyle Pitts. So are you worried about him? Uh, him, Kyle Pitts, the, the man. No, I'm not worried about Kyle Pitts. The man Arthur Smith needs to be fired <laughs> today. Arthur Smith. I'm not, pl- I don't care about fantasy football. All you care about is winning. You're all in two art. You're 0-2. Throw the ball to the most talented tight end we've ever seen. 6-6-4-4-40. His four targets or five targets in two games combined. Game on the line. He runs a wheel route into cover four coverage, and they throw up a prayer to Olamide Zacchaeus being covered by Jalen Ramsey. What are we doing here, guys? Let's throw the ball, hand the ball, you know, toss the ball, whatever we got to do, get the ball to Kyle Pitts. You're 0-2, you stink, and now we know why. It's just, it's, I mean, again, I'm obviously a huge Kyle Pitts owner, <laughs> but, and, and listen, the, the arguments around Kyle Pitts was, oh, his quarterback stinks. Matt Ryan stinks. You saw Matt Ryan yesterday. He stinks. Matt Ryan didn't make Kyle Pitts last year. Throw the ball at five. Look at, you know, Dalton Schultz. He stinks, but he, you know what he does? He wants five yard out routes and they throw it to him. Like just throw the ball to Kyle Pitts. He's going to make it happen. You know, I mean, it's, it's gotten to the point where people who I love and adore on Twitter have gotten to the point where they're saying maybe Kyle Pitts is, isn't good. Like, (laughs) is this where we're at now? Kyle Pitts is, isn't good. Like that's what you've done. Arthur Smith. You've made people believe that Kyle Pitts isn't good. So, so let's see, let's see if they can do what all the other smart coaches done. Get back in the lab. Oh, we screwed up. We didn't throw the ball to Allen Robinson. We didn't do this with that player. Get in the lab. Feed the ball to Kyle. I'm hopefully this is one of those games where like, all right, he comes out next week with 15 targets and just and just shows out. But I'm concerned that Arthur Smith is that stupid and it's nice. This is not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we don't have great results so far. Marcus Mariota is certainly not helping him either. He worked a little deeper this week versus the week one, like a a yard deeper in yards per pass attempt, but through two picks, they only attempted 26 passes in a game where they were trailing most of it. So not a great situation. I do think starting out 0-2 increases the chances that we get Desmond Ritter in the lineup at some point. And I think think that will be good for everybody here because not that – he's necessarily better than Mariota. We have no idea. We'll wait and see if that's the case, but we've seen enough of Mariota at this point to know that he's Tyrod Taylor. Really? I mean, there's just not a whole lot of upside here and it might be a passing downgrade from Ritter to Mariota. I think that we'll be more likely to see downfield throws from Ritter, which would help the big speedsters that Atlanta has uh, at pass catcher. So I I'm, I have my fingers crossed here for Desmond Ritter and not only because I have him in super flex tournament uh, rosters, just waiting for that upside to take the field. And listen, Drake, Drake London's fine. I'm at, like, I have some Drake London. He, you know, that makes sense. Get, get him the ball. It didn't look like he was being covered by, by Jalen Ramsey. And again, I don't even know. I haven't gone looked yet or heard was Jalen Ramsey bracketing Kyle Pitts. 
I don't, I don't know that either, but you, do you know how easy it is to get the ball into a tight end's hands? It's so easy. It's so easy. He played 57 snaps, which was led the team up b- b- behind Mariota. He ran more routes than any other player, ran 29 routes, man, r- ran more routes than J- Drake London. And even Jared tweeted out last week that, you know, he had more, he blocked more last week and week one than he had like really like all, all last year, almost combined. But that's what like, I want him at tight end. Like that's where I want him. If that means he's blocking a little bit more, fine. I want him at tight end running routes against linebackers. But they got it, they weren't even looking at him. Like the one time they look at him in the end zone, he looks at him eight seconds late and throws it 15 feet over his head. He was open for five seconds. Like they just got to make a concerted effort. He's got to be the first the, the first read on almost every play. I think where you really want him is in the slot. He was only there 31% of the time in week fine. one. That's fine too. I haven't yeah. seen the numbers yet from week two, so yeah, it, it certainly seems like they're not maximizing this particular asset. We'll see if they're capable of doing so going forward. Cordero Patterson, 13 pass routes against um, the Rams versus 11 split among the rest of the team's running backs. We're talking about Tyler Algier in his first NFL game, Avery Williams, Caleb Huntley worked in. So, you know, Patterson's the leader, but not dominating an area that it seems like he should be dominating and just one target from that. So tough to say whether that's the fault of the coaching or the quarterback split receiving with Avery Williams in week one as well. Five targets in that game caught three for 16 yards. So I I think that we should be getting more receiving from Patterson so far, but it's a little bit worrisome that we're not getting clearer. Number one receiving back usage for him 10.2% target share through two games, which is just okay for Patterson 10 carries in this game against the Rams that matched Tyler Algier, who was a healthy scratch in week one. So I think going forward with Patterson, he's going to be usable, but I think if you're going into a game where there's significant underdogs, you got to be more wary of Patterson consider not starting him. Yeah, exactly. And a big underdog game like this, you think he, he would get more targets. He didn't. Um, t- 10 carries is fine. Like that's, you know, we fine. usually 10 carries and five or six targets will, will get Patterson there. He did have a goal line carry or two. He was stuffed on. That's all you can ask for from a, from a perspective of, 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 of usage, you know, uh, I, I going back earlier to a couple of games before this, that we talked about Gibson also had another goal line carry. He was stuffed on. So again, usage, like we can't, if the player doesn't get in the player doesn't get in, but, um, but just give them that, that opportunity to, 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 to do that. It's just interesting. Like you said, 11 routes run by Algier, Avery Williams and Caleb Huntley and, and only 13 by Patterson. So he should be getting a little bit more of that. I don't know if maybe Patterson was banged up or, Again, we don't know if coaches go in. I'm planning to do that. Planning to give an Avery Williams five routes, but um, I think that'll end up coming back back around. Because again, another another loss. You you didn't use Cordell in the passing game. You didn't use Pitts in the passing game. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully, they can they can right the ship. 49ers, 27 Seahawks, seven Trey Lance ankle fracture out for the year. Obviously rough, whether you were a Lance drafter uh, fan or not. Jimmy Garoppolo the rest of the way. So at least they still have the backup plan in place. And I mean, Adam, it's it's almost certainly a better scenario for the fantasy outlooks for Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, because at the very least, we should see more pass attempts from the Niners going forward than we would have expected with Trey Lance behind center. A hundred percent. One of the reasons why I was, why uh, me and a bunch of other people, you know, were down on a little bit on these Niners skill guys is because Trey Lance was there. We didn't know how good he was going to be passing wise. Figured he'd probably be electric with his legs, but that doesn't help our pass catchers. Now you have a statue 
in the pocket who knows this offense at the back of his hand, who knows where to go with, to go with the football, you know, arrow up for, for Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and even Jeff Wilson, right? I mean, I know you didn't get to the running backs yet, but arrow, arrow up for, for the running backs because Trey Lance isn't going to be out there running. In fact, Trey Lance got hurt on a, on a carry, right? So, so yeah, Trey Lance, you know, another, it's going to be another lost year for him. Who sees, who knows what direction they're going to go, but um, I think it's um, Jeff Wilson showed that he was the guy here and you'll, you'll get to the running backs, but I think it's arrow up for the whole Niners offense. 18 carries for Jeff Wilson Jr. in this one, but also 14 for Tyreon Davis-Price, who was, of course, a healthy scratch in week one. And it wasn't just a matter of the rookie taking over in the second half. The carries went 7-5 to for Wilson in the first half, so they were both involved throughout. The playing time was basically even between them. There was no other running back involved, no Jordan Mason, who was active ahead of Davis-Price in week one, but did not play in that game. So it looks like Davis-Price is the RB two for now, at least, you know, along with Wilson in the backfield. And we'll kind of see how the week to week usage goes from here. Yeah. And we said this uh, on on the the deep end podcast last week, like there were, you know, this happened last year. Um, Elijah Mitchell was the next man up and he took the role and he had it the the, the whole year. Now Elijah Mitchell's a rookie and and Jeff Wilson's older and, but you know, he's not, they know what they have in Jeff Wilson, but there's something to be said about a team, a team like this, a guy who understands the offense. If he's going to get, 20 total targets plus carries every single week. He's, he's, he's locked in. You know, Jeff Wilson's locked in uh, nice signs of life from, from, from Terry Davis price that he's, that he can be involved in the offense. But um, yeah, I think Jeff Wilson is a, is a certainly a flex start RB two start um, from here on out until Mitchell c- comes back. I don't, I don't think you got to worry too much about um, Terry Davis price. Cause again, Jeff Wilson was getting a lot of the goal line work. Although I think TDP did get one down there, but Wilson also just looked a little, looked better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we'll see about the touch counts going forward. They've, of course, won this game by 20, so that helped um, yeah. beef up the, the carry volume overall. So, you know, I, I think Wilson's certainly in consideration as a starter. We'll see how he shakes out in our week three rankings. I haven't really looked that much at the matchups um, for that one yet. On the Seahawks side of this game, I, it's brutal if you're looking to get any fantasy value from it. Travis Homer led the running backs in playing time, led the group in targets. Carries went six for Rashad Penny, four for Kenny Walker, two for Travis Homer. Geno Smith was Geno Smith, 197 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick. Tyler Lockett had a big game, nine for 107 on 11 targets. Nobody else topped 35 yards. So I think the only thing that we can safely assume from this offense going forward is that one week it will be either Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf being fantasy viable and probably rarely be both of them. It rarely be both 49 snaps, Matt, for this, for this offense, 40. That's impossible. That's impossible. So gross. So you're not starting Penny or Walker while they're both healthy. I mean, you're just, you're just not going to do it. And and this is an example why the team, this was the fear, right? Going in, you know, Seattle stinks. Their defense stinks. Um, You know, Pete, Pete Carroll makes crazy random d- decisions at, at, at times and their quarterback isn't very good. So they're going to be playing from behind, but they want to run the ball. They're not going to have a lot of plays. I mean, this is it. This is it in a nutshell. It's Metcalf or Lockett every, every week. And you're not starting the running backs because their offensive line stinks. So it's, it's another, again, another offense to, 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 to avoid except for Metcalf and Lockett. Cause they're going to be playing from behind and uh, you know, Lockett 11 targets. Great. Metcalf six targets. Meh. But at least, at least there wasn't like, you know, at least Eskridge didn't see nine targets or something stupid. At least they're throwing the ball to the guys that that deserve to get the ball. Yeah. 
Seahawks fans should be booing the team for not trading Pete Carroll to the Broncos instead of uh, trading Russell Wilson there. <laughs> on to the Cowboys and the Bengals. Cowboys 20 to 17 victors here. And on the Bengals side, the sacks are definitely a problem for Joe Burrow. Six by the Cowboys yesterday in 45 dropbacks. It's a 13% sack rate, seven sacks by Pittsburgh in week one. I mean, if we're Joe Burrow owners, there's not a whole lot you can do right now. Dallas, the Dallas defense was good last year. So it's not shocking that Joe Burrow had a lackluster fantasy outing there. But I think that the the fact that the sacks remain so high volume and such an issue make him a potential sell high after he has a big game. I'm not saying right now, because you can't sell him high off of a disappointing game at Dallas. But I think that, you know, when Joe Burrow does have a big outing, which is definitely coming at some point, you at least consider the possibility kind of at the level of DeAndre Swift, where I'm not saying you have to get rid of Joe Burrow or he's going to wreck your season. Just consider it because it really could be an issue at some point, especially with the injury risk. Yeah, you got the injury risk. The line is not is not holding up. I I would sell Burrow, but I don't really have him because I I don't want I didn't want a guy that doesn't run. I mean, Burrow had a bad when you have a pocket passer that has a bad game, he can't do anything for you for fantasy wise. You know what I mean? Like Kyler Murray stunk you yesterday, but he puts up a ton of fantasy points because he's because he holds the ball for twenty nine seconds, <laughs> runs eighty yards and and scores right. So um, yeah, you want you you want those mobile quarterbacks because when you're not mobile. And you have a bad game, you can't you, you can't produce. So if you have Burrow, like you said, Matt, it, it, get get enough, get a good game out of him, and then trade him. He stuck at the beginning of the year last year too. He was caught uh, in a lot of leagues. I know the, the the main event champs last year picked up Burrow off waivers and ended up starting him um, the last couple of weeks to win the win the whole thing. But and, and Bo, Burrow does have you know a high ceiling, right? They can this offense can smash at any moment. But if they can't protect Burrow, good 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 luck, uh, good luck there. Yeah, don't cut Burrow, but no, 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 no. A high option. And he's he is at the Jets next week, so there should be an opportunity there for yep. a big game. Two weeks after that is the Baltimore matchup that he has exploited in recent seasons. So there are opportunities for big games coming up, and we'll we'll see where we go from those games. Um, in this particular one, the wide receivers, Tyler Boyd was right with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins in playing time, not close to that duo in targets, and I think that's what we should expect. Going forward, T. Higgins was silent early in his return from the concussion, but he wound up with six catches, 71 yards, and a touchdown on 10 targets, edged Jamar Chase by a target. Um, Chase had, you know, kind of a lackluster day, five for 54. That's going to happen. It's not nothing to really take away from that one. But I think the takeaway between them is T. Higgins is going to be jockeying with Jamar Chase for that team target lead in any given week. Yeah, and that was kind of the... The one fear about Chase was like, what if, what, what if T. Higgins like sees the same amount of volume he does, and maybe Higgins uh, should be a, maybe they should both be second round picks instead of one a first and one a, and one a third. So Higgins comes back and Chase smashed week one without Higgins there for half the game. Uh, Boyd's unstartable unless you have an injury to Higgins or Chase, even even though he scored. As much as I love Tyler Boyd, you know I think he's a great great slot receiver, but unfortunately he's like fourth in the pecking order there as far as targets are, are concerned um and sometimes fifth i mean he's behind hayden hurst and joe mixon th- this week so um yeah i mean again chase and higgins are always are, are going to get theirs as far as targets are concerned and chase almost snapped one off yesterday he caught a slant over the middle and was one guy away from breaking it off and and so he always has that in his in his repertoire but 
yeah, it's 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 going to be they might be alternating weeks as as we go forward. Chasing Higgins. Yeah, don't be surprised about that. But yeah, Tyler Boyd is Jar- is Jarvis Landry, but playing with two alphas, and he's right. probably not even quite as high on that alpha chart as Jarvis Landry is. So I agree. Tyler Boyd's a handcuff on the Dallas side. Cooper Rush, 19 to 31, 235 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. That is, we will take that absolutely every week going forward. Obviously had the team in the game. CeeDee Lamb for the second straight game, 11 targets. So he only caught two balls in the opener, but did have 11 targets in that game, had 11 in this one, caught seven for 75, 35.5% target share in this one. I actually got an email from a subscriber saying that somebody dropped CeeDee Lamb in their league. I don't Come know on. if it was before yesterday's game. I'm assuming so, because I don't think you drop a seven catch CD lamb, but that's where people were on worrying about this Cowboys offense. So CD lamb could be somebody to acquire right now. I don't even think a seven for 75 game is one where a lot of, I'm sure that there are some CD lamb owners that are like, okay, I guess he'll be all right until Dak Prescott gets back. I'm sure that there are others who are like, all right, We'll use that to go ahead and sell him now because he's clearly not going to do that every week with Cooper Rush. So I, I would be interested in at least, I don't know, a price check on CD Lamb, seeing what it might take to get him, sending a low offer just to see how far down the perceived value is and see what's possible. Not somebody that I feel like I need to get right now. Yeah, agreed there. Um, CD Lamb looked look good. Like you said, those 11 targets are sweet, seven for 75. Awesome. It'd, it'd be nice to see him get in the end zone. I mean, he's a he's a great like red zone goal line threat. I mean, that's that's one of his strengths is his body control, his acrobatic catching, his, his route running down there. So hopefully that comes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I would be – I mean, I can't see Lamb having some blow-up week where you have to worry about like, oh, the price is going to skyrocket on him if you wanted to, to trade for him. I certainly wouldn't be trading Lamb right now because, again, someone's going to try to fleece you. So I would either hold Lamb or, yeah, like you said – Go, go test, go see what, because we're playing for the, for, for, for the, for the end of the year, we're playing for the playoffs, we're playing for the, for the big money decks coming back eventually. So if, if landing, give us seven for 75 until deck gets back fine. I'm, I feel much, much better about it. Cause I do have quite a bit of, of CD lamb. So that's fine. I saw people, some people didn't, didn't start CD lamb this week. That's tough. Um, I don't think I could do that a lot, but. But yeah, no, th- this is this is nice, nice to see that he led that doubled up the next target guy from the receivers. I know Pollard have set, had seven targets, which was sweet to see. Um, and so we'll see if that if that's uh, the same moving forward. I would bet that there are some leagues where you could trade Garrett Wilson for CD Lamb straight up this week. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Tony Pollard, seven targets, especially sweet because we were kind of forced to start him on our draft shirt <laughs> main event team in the FFPC. So uh, nice there. Four catches for, for 55 yards, also had 43 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And actually his rushing touchdown came from a yard out and it came a play after he had a 47-yard reception that was initially ruled a touchdown. They reviewed it, called it a 46-yard play, said he was stopped short, so he got to score on the next play. Thank you, he was God. the only running back in on that drive. So if you look at the playing time numbers, he was well behind Ezekiel Elliott overall. But if he can have that kind of drive where it's a Tony Pollard possession, he can be well behind in overall playing time and still be fantasy viable, especially if, you know, within that range of outcomes is what we saw yesterday where he has seven targets. He's second on the team in that category. So, you know, part of me wants to say, uh, be wary of the numbers because the playing time might not support that every week. 
But the other hand is we know he's not an every week guy. So we'll take this being a possibility. Yeah, the playing time isn't a big thing to me within this certain situation. It's what he what they do with him when he's out there, right? If he can, he had nine carries and seven targets, if he can give us that every week, seven targets every week, that's sensational. Now we weren't even necessarily we were drafting Pollard as like a like a low end running back two or flex type running back and maybe a hero RB build stuff like that, hoping waiting for Zeke Elliott to, to go down and having Pollard be a top five running back. But if he can give us this, and it's amazing how it takes a team to lose their starting quarterback to go, oh, let's get the ball to our, in, our, in our playmaker's hands. You know, when all you have is C.D. Lamb and Dalton Schultz, who all he does is run five-yard out, out routes. Pollard's so explosive. He's so he's so good. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, this is this is so great to see out of, out of Pollard for, for, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's probably similar to Curtis Samuel in their offensive plans in a given week. Dalton Schultz, just four targets in this game. I mean, it, it stinks, but I don't think there's really much to change his outlook from here based on that. He's in the mix. He was right with CeeDee Lamb and Noah Brown in routes. And Noah Brown, uh, Adam, we got a question from our pal Joey Brown asking if it was okay <laughs> to go ahead and cut Noah Brown last week. And I agreed with you. It was, it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's Cooper Rush in for Dak Prescott. Noah Brown was just kind of a you know prayer to begin with. He caught all five of his targets from Cooper Rush in this game for 91 yards and a touchdown. Now, I think that that's the absolute peak of Noah Brown efficiency. I don't think we will ever see that kind of five target performance from him again, but it at least supports him as a passing game factor for the Cowboys going forward this year. Certainly at least until Michael Gallup's back, but even once Gallup returns, there's probably room for a third receiver. Yeah, that's my thing too. Is what I was answering is is I think that um, yeah, with 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 Gallo coming back, even my son Noah Krautwurst asked me yesterday, do I start Noah Brown in my DFS? I'm like, no, you're not starting Noah Brown. And of course, Noah Brown goes off, and <laughs> Noah Krautwurst lets me have it. So, um, so Noah Krautwurst and Joey Brown were on this thing for, 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 for from the beginning. But we should have seen that. That was the football god speaking to us. Insane. Noah Krautwurst, Joey Brown come uh, together. Noah Brown week. I, we got to, we got to communicate better on Sunday. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, we should, we should have seen that coming, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I think with Gallup coming back, I mean, listen, this is why, and this is so kind of off topic, but this is why in best ball, I like going running backs, really receivers late. Cause every week you get a Noah Brown three, four Noah Browns. Like if I go to the receiver list and see who finished in the top 24, top top 24 receivers, you're going to get guys that are never going to finish in the top 24 Nelson Aguilar is number n- n- number 10, Jacoby might. I mean, guys that are just never going to finish in the top 10 again, or top, Ashton Doolin, you know, it's just, this stuff happens all the, all, all the time. You know, this week, uh, no one was probably starting Noah Brown unless it was DFS, but I would, with Gallup coming back, I, uh, and Pollard being so as good as he is in the passing game, uh, I, I would lean towards no on Noah Brown. Nelson Aguilar was like uh, undrafted in ADP and best ball tournaments. He was definitely somebody that I liked stashing with your very last pick. Cause it was like, I mean, he's probably going to be starting for them. I don't have to like Nelson Aguilar to say that there are going to be weeks. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily predict that his week too, but you know, that's, this is the kind of stuff that you look for. You're grabbing guys with opportunity because that opportunity can turn into production at any given time. Yep. Broncos, Texans, and speaking of opportunity, Mm. we've got Denver offense absolutely blowing it. Uh, Russell Wilson was the killer for me for underdog pickums for sleeper over-unders yesterday because he seemed like a lock to go over facing the Texans. 
16 points, 16-9 win here. This offense sucks, and it makes me mad because <laughs> there is no reason that it should. And it, it's strongly – There's one good reason. Part. There's it's one good reason. The coach is just a moron because <laughs> Russell Wilson is an excellent player, even if he has times where he's not that good. They have plenty of pass catchers in this offense. They have a strong backfield. There is no reason for this team to ever score fewer than 20 points, especially at home against Houston. Yeah. Fire Nathaniel Hackett now. Like, what else do you have to see? The play calling's terrible. The game, even if you were like, oh, no, he's a great leader of men and he's great at managing a game. I mean, I've never seen worse. He can't even get his field goal unit out, out on the field twice. In a, in a game like he, everyone knew he stunk. I mean, he comes from not even a great coaching tree. Uh, it's just, it's just so bad. Nathaniel Hackett's terrible. The offense is going to suffer. Jerry, Jerry Judy, unfortunately gets hurt in this game, but yeah, I mean, what a, what a, what an embarrassing, he's just an embarrassment. The fans are booing hall of famer, Russell Wilson at home and they should be, but it's not Russell Wilson. It's Nathaniel Hackett. Just the worst play calls ever. Oh, he's just terrible. I blame Aaron Rodgers for this. The right. Broncos fans were also counting in unison as the play clock ran down yesterday, <laughs> just to make sure that Denver got the playoff, which I saw on, on Good Morning Football NFL Network today. So that was fun. Um, Javante Williams, kind of mad production in this one, 75 rushing yards, one catch for 10 yards on four targets, but he doubled Melvin Gordon's playing time. So if you have Javante Williams, you should at least feel good about how much time he's spending on the field, even if you need to not watch his offense play any games. Cortland Sutton obviously capitalized on Jerry Judy leaving, 11 targets, seven catches, 122. Javante Williams was second on the team in targets in this game with four. So that's how good a job they're doing of supporting a decent offense seven other guys in the range of one to three targets and i i you know if there's anything else you want to say about the broncos fine i don't even want to talk about them anymore why do i i just jerry judy crushed me yesterday in fantasy just losing i have so much judy and like he comes out he runs five routes has three targets on five routes it's it's just it's he's just so po- he's poised to have such a good year and same with last year now now rib injury X-rays came back negative so maybe he even plays next week but it's a situation where with me man just let him rest a week if that even helps him let him rest a week bring him back the, the week after that but losing I mean, when you play high stakes high volume losing a player in the first quarter of a game across a bunch of your leagues just crushes you. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Judy, Judy looked, looked good out there. Alberto. I mean, but yeah, I guess we can just, we can, I don't even, I don't even have a lot of Alberto. If, if, if any, I think I have a George Kittle Alberto team because I needed to start him, but <laughs> two targets. So stupid. Oh my God. Albert. No, on the Texas Albert, side, no. some positive here. Damian Pierce controlled the backfield 39 to 22 in snaps versus Rex Burkhead 16 to 20 in routes. So you know, behind Burkhead, but six, but four routes apart is a lot closer than they were in week one. Pierce took all 15 running back carries for Houston, caught the lone running back target in this game. Oh, I'm sorry, caught his lone target. Rex Burkhead got three targets, caught two of them for nine yards. So if you drafted Damian Pierce, you have to be happy with how week two went, even if you still want more from your investment. Yeah, he looked pretty good. I mean, again, it's the tale of two seasons. If you got Damian Pierce in round 10 and beyond, you're super stoked about the 15 carries, one target, zero RB, hero RB, RB2, something like that. Fine, great. If you took him in the fifth round, you're still not happy. But at least 
again, 15 carries to zero. Like what more are you going to ask for out of, out of Damian Pierce? One target to three for Rex Burkhead had three. Fine. If Burkhead's going to be the pass catching back, fine. That may, that makes sense. But again, a coaching staff that admitted last week, they screwed up. Damian Pierce didn't get the ball as much as they should have. They come back and they go 15 carries to zero for Damian Pierce. Looked fine. Look good doing it. Did not didn't have a lot of rushing lanes. I mean, the the, the Broncos defense is, is good. Um, they just have a terrible coach. So, um, so yeah, and and even even looking at the receivers, like Cooks, nine targets makes sense, right? Um, nine targets is, is, is fine. It's great. So, um, yeah, we'll 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 see how this offense looks moving forward. But if it's if it's running through Pierce and Brandon Cooks, I think those those two guys will be fine. Yeah, and Cooks clearly ahead of Nico Collins in usage. We had targets close, 10 for Cooks, 9 for Nico Collins, um, but Cooks on the field a lot more. And this is just not a good enough offense to bet on the secondary target. There's going to be weeks where it's Nico Collins, but not weeks where you feel good about starting him. So I would play Brandon Cooks and forget about everybody else in the passing game until Brandon Cooks gets hurt. You know, let's hope he doesn't. (laughs) Cardinals. Raiders 29 23 final Cardinals came back from down 20 to nothing at the half. They were down 23 to seven after three quarters. They did come back. We've all probably seen the highlights at this point. Obviously it's, you know, what we all knew about Kyler Murray is even if he has a rough game, even if the Cardinals are playing down to their coaching level, he's capable of bringing them back and scoring the points by himself. And yet I can't just enjoy it, Adam, because we lost James Bonner to an ankle injury in this one. Brutal, brutal, brutal stuff. Another in in game in injury. Um, you know he only he only played eighteen snaps, and of course, you know uh, Daryl Williams ends up with sixty yards rushing and a score and two two catches. Like it just add all that on to Connor, and he would have been he would have had a really really good game. So that's enough, you know, brutal there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's a good sign for for Kyler Murray again. Even in a in a in a in a bad game, he's he's running around, and that was the whole thing. Like. You know, no one ever thought Kyle Murray is the best quarterback in the NFL, but he was my QB one because no matter what happens, he's gonna end up scoring fantasy points. You know, he he lost his number. You know, he doesn't have Hopkins. He lost another receiver. Um, you know, his slot guy is is Rondell Moore isn't playing. So the offense is just gonna get better and better as far as getting skill guys back. So don't uh, don't go trading away Kyler Murray. Um, with Connor out, you mentioned Daryl Williams got the yards, got the score, but it was identical playing time between. Williams and Eno Benjamin, eight carries apiece, four to three targets favoring Benjamin slightly. So I, I would expect that if Connor misses further time, it will be a split backfield like that, which will obviously lower the ceiling for both guys. Yeah, which stink, which which is kind of what we anticipated. Like this is why like some situations are like Jalen Warren is is much better to have in fantasy than either one of these guys because if the starter goes down there, you got J- Jalen Warren's getting all of the, all of the work, whereas these guys are splitting. Another thing I saw James Conner celebrating at the end of the game with those guys. So I don't think it's, hopefully it doesn't seem like it's too bad. Like I feel like he would have been on crutches or something or not out there if it, if it was really bad. So hopefully Connor can m- maybe uh, miss just a week or maybe, maybe nothing at all. Yeah. If he's anywhere on camera at the end of the game, that's a good thing, especially if he's not sitting on a cart. Right. Um, Zach Ertz playing time up versus week one. He matched Marquise Brown for the target lead with 11. So we like that. It makes Zach Ertz a weekly guy going forward. Greg Dorch down to third among wide receivers and routes and targets did catch all four of them for 54, 55 yards and a touchdown. You know, it's probably, it's just a matter of time until Greg Dorch is not on our radar anymore. The involvement is good enough that it's a positive for Rondale Moore. 
Um, and it's good that he was at least efficient enough to deliver if you played Greg Dortch off of his kind of, you know, look at me week one. Yeah, I guess. But like you said, it's it's not it's not going to last forever. Um, you know, maybe just a couple more weeks. I mean, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even necessarily roster Dortch, although he probably looked. But I mean, AJ Green, before, like, just looks. He's allergic to scoring. Like just every little thing, he doesn't get his feet in, or some guy swipes his hand, and then all of a sudden, back of the end zone, impossible throw, Murray with his eyes closed, and he catches it sliding in the back of the end zone, and then hurts himself. Like AJ Green is just, oh, just so bad. But I don't think Dorch can be can be much better than him. On the Raiders side, Devontae Adams disappoints, but you know that just happens. Nothing to worry about overall. It's encouraging, on the other hand, for Hunter Renfro that he led the team in Week Two targets: ten targets, seven catches, fifty-nine yards. Had the fumble at the end. Also has an injury that we're going to have to watch to see how significant it is. But you know, you like that it's possible for him to lead in targets if you drafted Renfro. And then Darren Waller right behind: eight targets, six catches, fifty yards, and a touchdown. So you know, it's kind of the the mix that we expected more than Devonte Adams dominating the way he did in week one. Yeah, no, I, I completely, I, I had a feeling this was going to be a Renfro, a Renfro game this week. You know, I guess he, he faced a pretty good slot corner in week one, the same slot corner that shut down kind of the chiefs underneath stuff. I think Ju, Juju had a, had a poor game against the same slot corner. So um, a lot of times that, that stuff can, can happen. We knew Renfro wasn't going to, you know, when you get these elite slot guys, man, the quarterbacks trust them. Just see Amon Ross, Amon Ra, St. Brown. He's an elite slot guy. He's just going to get targets. Um, this is a great week for Renfro. Again, he might be concussed, um, fumbled kind of twice there at the end. He fumbled like once on the drive before. Maybe it was the same drive. They they, they recover it. And then uh, once to, 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 to end the game there. But yeah, Ren- Renfro's a, f- a fine wide receiver three moving forward. And Josh Jacobs was Josh Jacobs. Nothing exciting unless you still get excited by the number 69 because that was his rushing yards. Caught his lone <laughs> target for 12 yards. The rest of the backfield, though, one carry to Zamir White, one target for Amir Abdullah. Those two guys played a combined 20 snaps versus 48 for Josh Jacobs. So he's the guy. I mean, it doesn't. it's not going to mean big numbers, but he's uh, viable. Yeah, he's he's viable. I mean, I know we were taking him, and he was going in like round seven or eight. You know, later on, it's like fine. I still would just one target just it just doesn't. It's eighteen carries, right? So a target is worth almost three times what what a carry's worth. Like, give me give me ten carries and six targets. You know, J- Jacobs is just unless he scores, it's going to be really tough for him to even be an RB. And RB2 because 18, 18 carries a week is a lot. Running backs don't get that anymore. And when they do, they end up wearing down. Yeah. I mean, this is what we knew was coming though. It's why he wasn't a target player. It's why he was a fine. If you guys are going to just keep leaving Josh Jacobs there, I'll take him. And now it's a, all right, I need a starter. I'll, toss Josh Jacobs in that spot because he'll get the carries. Maybe he finds the end zone. If he does, it's a good week. Otherwise it's just kind of an eh week. So, you know, not, not somebody that's changing your season, but this is what I was hoping for Josh Jacobs. I would love to get more targets. I don't think they're coming because it just doesn't seem like the Raiders want to give him that. So, you know, it's going okay so far. We'll leave it at that. And then the final game for this one, green Bay against the bears, um, 27-10 Packers. It was closer than that for a little while, but ultimately not. And I think that the the biggest takeaway here is the Bears might be another team that's just poorly coached despite the coaching change. Apparently, 
um, Luke Getze told Justin Fields before the game, we're going to run it down their throats. And that's why <laughs> a team that lost by 17 points attempted 11 total passes in the game. They're also just not good. The first good. half right. total offensive plays right. went 40 for Green Bay, 17 for Chicago, at least in the second half. It was even 26 Green Bay, 24 Chicago. But, you know, we need more from the coaching. Uh, we probably need more from the offensive line if we're going to capitalize on Justin Fields. Until then, it's like, he's a nice player. I guess we'll see what happens once he gets some things around him. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even judge a guy like Fields. He's just, they're not throwing it. They're not, you know, he had that one touchdown run. He had a, he had another one that was called back because – you know, or that, that, that they ruled wasn't in, he wasn't in. And then I feel like he got in on that, on that run on fourth down. Um, but they would have gotten in if they didn't start him from a shotgun position. I know. So what did he need? Three more inches. Yeah. Like, he needed, he needed up. a full head of steam. Idiots. They were literally this far away from the goal line. You just need to take it and do this with it. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm not an NFL coach, so I don't understand how that stuff works. But, uh, but yeah, this, the offense is just, they're just like you said. They're just not good. The the, the the skill guys aren't aren't that good. The offensive line stinks. So Justin, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with J J Justin Fields? I mean, he if he has if he continues this way the whole year, they're they're going to be terrible. They're going to be they're going to have a shot at, a, at an elite quarterback in the draft. And Justin Fields might be might might be moving on. Not that that matters for this podcast, but um, yeah, it's you just if you own Fields. And you, and you have to start him. You just got to hope for rushing touchdowns and like 60 plus rushing yards. Cause uh, the coat the there isn't competent offensive coaching and their skill guys just aren't that good. And stuff like route rates don't matter for the pass catchers and pass catchers and quotes. If they're going to be throwing fewer than 20 passes a game, which they have done in each of the two games so far. So there's really not a whole lot to discuss for Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet. I mean, you know, there are going to be teams that probably have to start them in week three. If you can help it, Try not to. I, I would say for week three, I would definitely start Logan Thomas over Cole Komet. Oh, we'll yeah. Those. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cole Komet's cuttable. He's cuttable everywhere. Because even when he has a good game, it's going to be once a month, and you're never going to start him during that week. Like, it's just – and Cole Komet's never shown that he's good anyways. Like, I never got the Cole Komet thing. You can never bank on like, hey, he's, but who else are they going to throw it to? They're not going to throw it. <laughs> they're, they're just going to hand it off. Uh, 35 times <laughs> run it down your throats for That's a 17 right. point loss on the green Bay side. We did get Alan Lazard back only three targets in this game caught two for a whopping 13 yards and a touchdown. But despite entering the game questionable, he did immediately lead non quarterback skill players in the green Bay offense in playing time. He did run eight more routes than anyone else. That means something. I don't think that Alan Lazard is going to at any point turn into the clear number one receiver, but if he comes back and immediately leads in those categories, he you have to at least look to him as the best bet to lead Green Bay receivers going forward. Yeah, I guess. Like I said, it, like you said, it doesn't really mean much. I mean, their leading receiver had four targets, and that was Sammy Watkins. I mean, Lazar was lucky to get that touchdown down at the goal line there. Um, you know, this is going to be their, their offense, right? It's going to be a million carries for Jones and Dylan, and – you know, even Jones and Dylan combined for six for six targets too, and that's how it should be. I mean, their 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 roster is built to play exactly the way they played last night. Good defense, getting both running backs in, in, in involved, and just spreading the the little bit of targets and offense that is left 
among four or five, five guys. So I don't think any of the receivers are startable. Um, obviously if you got Dylan or Jones, you're starting them and you're loving games when they played teams like the bears and they can just afford to run it. I want to see what happens. I mean, what well, we saw what happened week one when they can't, when they're not allowed to do that, right. When they have to throw the ball, they look horrific. So, uh, you know, the Packers are going to struggle against, against most teams running this style of offense, but this is, this is what they want to run. 15 carries for Aaron Jones, 18 for AJ Dillon in that game against Chicago, big game for Jones, 170 total yards, two touchdowns. Um, it just like, don't let that big game versus a quiet game for AJ Dillon overshadow that the playing time is nearly identical between them. It's including the route rates, three targets for each of these players. And of course, in week one, even though it wasn't as big a game for Dylan, he doubled Aaron Jones's PPR points in that game. So it's just going to be the kind of thing where these are the only two guys that I would actually want to have on the Packers offense. And it's, it's going to be, you know, kind of like Jamar Chase T Higgins, where they're both capable of leading that position and scoring for their team in any given week. Yeah. And I never really understood the, the, the fifth round AJ Dillon ADP at the end here. I mean, he had 18 carries and three targets in a blowout win of the Chicago bears and finished RB 32, because if he doesn't score touchdowns, he's just not going to, he's not going to get, I mean, it, it, you're not going to ask for much more than 18, 18 carries. So if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's, he's going to be Derrick Henry light. You know what I mean? And, and we see what Henry does when he doesn't score a touchdown. So they had, they had a perfect game script here. He had great usage and finishes RB 32. So what you need to hope for as a Dylan owner is an Aaron Jones injury. Uh, and then maybe he can, and then if he's getting six targets, now it's a whole different story. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of luck in the touchdowns, as we all know, though, and the passing game usage is pretty even between these guys. So for me, this is the reason that Aaron Jones was not in my round two plans, because he's playing the same amount of time as A.J. Dillon, because it is possible that either one of these guys is leading the scoring. I, you know, I didn't wind up getting to A.J. Dillon very much either at his cost. It was just kind of a backfield I was okay with missing because of this, you know, sharing back and forth and where they were going. I think if you have either one, you should like how things are so far, because at least the offense on whole rebounded in week two. And clearly this offense is going to need to lean on those running backs, basically regardless of game script. Cause we saw plenty of receiving for both of those guys in that blowout loss in week one. Yep. Yeah. You're, you're if you have either one of them, you're happy about it, but it's just going to be tough to know which week they're, they're going to go off, you know? Yeah, I hope you don't have both of them. So that's going to do it for this week two recap podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can find in-depth recaps from every game for free in the Shark Bites section. Jared Smola will have his weekly usage article on the site Wednesday to run through all the targets and snaps and routes and all that. In between, we will have our week three rankings up. We'll have our beefed up free agent focus articles for leagues of all sizes. Also coming this Wednesday is going to be our first buy, sell, hold report of the season where we highlight players that you should try to acquire, try to sell, or just sit on while we wait and see what's really going to happen for them going forward. You will, of course, find Jared and me back here Thursday for our weekly preview pod and then Friday for the DFS show. You'll find Adam on the deep end with Mike Shope. Um, Look for all of it on the YouTube channel, wherever you like to get your podcasts. For Adam Krautwurst and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.